welcome to another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. Ben Standick here. On today's episode, New Year's resolutions for the Washington Wizards. I asked our Locked On Wizards uh, community to help me come up with some suggestions over Twitter. You guys delivered. Adam Rubin from truthaboutit.net has some thoughts as well. Two of us uh, will talk here in just a moment about that will, you know, be in that process, get into a bunch of various wizards topics. You can, of course, find all of our topics that we talk about on the Locked on Wizards podcast over on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else you do your podcasting. Um, if you missed it over the weekend, Todd Dibus and I, after the uh, New Year's Eve win over the Bulls, we got into that game. But we also talked a lot about some bigger picture stuff. With the Wizards, some trade ideas, things like that. So you can check that out on the podcast. Wizards, of course, back in action Wednesday against the New York Knicks. We'll talk about that one as well. But let's not... Oh, actually, wait, hold on. Let's, let's hold up that thought. I forgot to mention some big news on, on the Wizards front today. Bradley Beal named Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Congrats to... Mr. Beal, obviously he capped the week with a, with an impressive performance against the Bulls. 39 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists, made 7 three-pointers, um, had 17 points in the fourth quarter, including a stretch of 15 in a row. For the week, he averaged 26.3 points, 6.3 rebounds, 3.8 assists, 1.5 steals, shot 39% from three as the Wizards went, 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 uh, Three and one. So congrats to Bradley Beal for that. Well deserved. Uh, I was out of practice today. Nothing particularly notable there. John Wall rested for the most part, but that's just, but he'll be good to go for the game on Wednesday. So I think we're good to go right now to dive into New Year's resolutions. So let's get into that. Myself, Adam Rubin, looking at Wizards New Year's resolutions for 2018. All right. As promised, joining the podcast, helping us kick off the new year in style, Mr. Adam Rubin from truthaboutit.net, aka at Liddell's Place on Twitter. Mr. Rubin, uh, appreciate you, uh, coming by the old podcast per usual. Uh, it is, uh, only two days into the 2018 year. Any, uh, any, uh, Issues for you so far with the new calendar year? Are you finding everything uh, to be to your liking so far, or do you have any reservations? Uh, no, everything going okay so far. I will say this: I, I haven't. I, I, not like I have to like write the date a lot, but I haven't found myself writing 2017 much yet. Normally, that's always an issue for the first few days. So I think that's a sign that I was ready for 2018 to uh, to arrive. I've been, it's been on my brain. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so far so good. We're two days in, and uh, the Wizards have not lost a game yet in 2017. So, or in 20, there I just said it. In 2018, they have not lost a game yet, so there's that. So that's a good sign. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> there's still time. There's still time. Uh, yes, that time will, their, their opportunity to win or lose will come Wednesday against the New York Knicks, um, but Adam, it's it's you know that time or that time of year where people make New Year's resolutions. 
Uh, I, I don't know if the players care that much. I asked Bradley, we asked Bradley Beal the other day if he's got any, and he said, nah, no point. What's the point? I mean, look, you can make it, you can make a change. If you want to make a change, you don't have to wait for January 1st. You can do it whenever you want. It's totally a fair, reasonable point. That said, we will, uh, we will discuss New Year's resolutions that we've made up for the Wizards. And I say we, I mean myself, you, you and the listeners of Locked On Wizards. I asked people over the last few days to send us some tweets, hashtag WizResolutions. And we got a bunch of them here, some good ones. And I'm going to share some of them with you here. Uh, we may not get to every single player, just time permitting kind of thing. Well, we got a few here. And Adam is going to help me uh, fill in some blanks here and there with uh, some stuff. Just, just to kick it off, Adam, I'm going to give you a blind start. I got, let's see here, one, two, three, four. Five. I got about eight in front of me here right now. Pick a number, one to eight. That's where we'll start. Your call. Don't screw that up. Number number five. Number five. Mm. All right. This is a, it, it, it's, it's a Jason Smith but it's sort of a Scott oh. Brooks. Uh, this was from at recruitc. Well, I don't know. R e c r e w t c o recruit corp or corp something. I'm not sure. Anyway, but a good question or good, interesting point. Uh, the, the comment is it's not so much a resolution, but it's a sort of a comment. Brooks needs to find five minutes a game for Jason Smith. Now, I'm pretty sure you were certainly among the people, and you were not alone, who for a large chunk of the year were very annoyed that Jason Smith wasn't getting more run, especially because Jan Mahimi in particular was, and Jan Mahimi, especially early in the season, was looking all kinds of awkward, but without giving the Wizards any kind of help defensively or rebounding, whereas Jason Smith, you know, we also, you know, had the, you know... Uh, Visions of the guy from a year ago who's making three-pointers, certainly gives you energy whenever he plays, so on and so on. I, I would say, though, that while I understand the point, I don't know if that's actually a thing anymore. Because, uh, one, I mean, Mahimi's been playing better, just like the bench has in, uh, overall the last, you know, month, I guess. Or, you know, it was basically from Thanksgiving, a little over a month now, when, when Wall went out, and that's when the bench played picked up because of your boy, Mr. Sadoransky. But also on top of that, you know, Mike Scott in that stretch has turned into a three-point monster, which is what Jason Smith was giving you last year. So I don't really actually think anymore Jason Smith, I mean, I'm sorry to say this because I like Jason Smith, but I don't really think right now he he should be getting minutes. I mean, if you're going to stay with a 10-man rotation, which I think is fine, I don't think there's room at the end, even for five minutes a game for Jason Smith. But you tell me, what do you think about that take? about uh, the, the need to get more Jason Smith in our lives. Part of the reason for the Jason Smith uh, interest early on was also because of Marquise's limited minutes. So they weren't able to play small ball. It was all Mahimi or Gortat, you know, at center. So I think Marquise coming back has also muted the call for Jason Smith. And also, it's a very small sample size, but... He just simply hasn't been making shots. And if a few of the games that he did get in, he hit, you know, three or four threes, that might have got, you know, had people a little more interested. But he just, he hasn't well hit the shots in the limited, limited time he's been on the court. When you say he hasn't hit the shots, let's just put a point on this. He's taken yeah, he's 19, he? yeah, he's taken 19 three-pointers. He has made one. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, 
rhythm is certainly part of that factor. And, um, you know, I mean, that, that only comes with playing time. But, right, I mean, when he's been in there, he hasn't given him that lift that he had. But, look, I think it's I think it's a good I think it's a good thought, a good topic. But, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we have reached a point where you can't play everybody. And I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a spot right now for Jason Smith, even at five minutes a game. Uh, yeah, the only thing I would add is I believe he should have been playing during some of those games when the team was playing against Atlanta at Brooklyn, just bringing forth no effort. That's the one thing he does bring, which I would have liked to have seen him get in there and just say, screw this, put Gortat, put Mohimi down and get someone in there who's going to run just to show the guys how to actually play with energy. But again, that's more of a special situation, not a regular rotation spot. Yeah, no, and, I, and I do see, like I always think at the back of your bench, you should always have a couple, one or two guys who are energy guys. That's why I like the whole Carrick Felix thing, because he looked like a guy who was just exactly that. That's all we heard about throughout training camp was, was he was hustling all over the place. I mean, Jason Smith, I think, is sort of that kind of guy as well. So I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fine with him being at the end of the bench for that purpose. And you're right, I think there are some been some spots where you could argue he should have been uh, in the game. All right, let's get to another one here. Let's go to one of the starters. How about Otto Porter? Here is uh, one. This was from, uh, not surprisingly, from a Twitter handle, at DC Hoyas. I believe this is the uh, alumni chapter of, of the DC cha- alumni chapter for, for Georgetown. Uh, comment was, Otto Porter must find a way to get at least 15 shots a game in the new year. Now, I think one of the things we often, all of us kind of think about with Otto Porter is that he's not, he, he lets the game come to him. He's not a very assertive player at times, right? And that, especially earlier in his career, I think that rubbed people the wrong way. It made them think less of him. I don't necessarily know it's the same thing now, but there are some times, you know, and, and look, there's a difference when John Wall is playing versus when John Wall's not playing, uh, where, where you might say, hey, well, he needs to get more shots or he'd be more aggressive. In any event, you know, I, I think there's still a sense that Otto Porter doesn't take a ton of shots, right? I think that's a fair statement, right? Okay, so I so I looked, uh, so, yeah. so okay, so I looked this up last year. He played, I think, like eighty games. He only took fifteen or more field goal attempts seven times the whole season. This year, they're at now what twenty or thirty six games? I think twenty or no thirty seven games, something like that, right? What is yeah. it? Twenty one and sixteen. He's missed a couple, right? So uh... yeah, so he's missed a couple. Yeah. Now this is not a large number. But he's now he's taken at least fifteen attempts eight times, so he's already done it more than he did all of last year, which isn't to say he could do it more. But it, you know, it's basically like every fifth game he's doing that. But it is to say he has done it more this season. In those games in which he has taken at least fifteen field goal attempts, the Wizards are five and three. In those specific games, Otto Porter is shooting from the field. 57.3% on 131 attempts and 27 of 48 from three, 56.3%. Uh, the, the, those are obviously, I mean, uh, uh, he's shooting at a pretty high level this year, but those numbers are, you know, go above that. So when he's shooting a lot, it's not just like, well, I'm going to chuck up a bunch of shots and see what happens. He's he's making them for sure. So, you know, it's a good sign on some level to see he's already taken more. He's been more assertive, at least by the numbers, than he was last year. I think I think we recognize that 
I see more uh, out of him from that. There's more, there's room for more improvement. But we see more end when he's taking them. He isn't just taking them for show. He's taking them and making them. And I think I'll be sort of building on this and be a little more specific. I think Otto needs to take more shots. I don't care about his total for the game. He needs to take more shots late in the fourth quarter when Washington's offense tends to go wall, beal, wall, beal, you know, alternating. And there's not much, uh, not much contributions from other players. So I think that's also, I think, where people got frustrated seeing, I forget the numbers, some ridiculously crazy low number of shot attempts that Otto Porter has, you know, in the clutch, you know, period, whatever, the last four minutes in, in close games. And so I think that's where I would like to see Otto get more shots up. And that, I think, is more coaching than it is Otto, uh, you know, in terms of getting plays called for him. Um, so, yeah, so I'm just sort of, I'll, I'll, I'll build upon that and say, sure, get, get more shots overall, but also I'd like to see him be a third scoring option in the clutch and so they're not so one-dimensional uh, down the stretch. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a totally fair point. And look, you know, we, we can ask for evolution to come in many ways quicker for, for, for humanity, for, and we can do that for Otto Porter as well. We continue to see gradual improvement. And I say gradual, I don't mean that it's necessarily been that slow. I mean, he's made significant strides this year, and I think part of the more shot attempts comes last year. You you really could never have Otto, or at least Scott Brooks didn't think you could, have Otto Porter being the anchor with the second unit. We're seeing that now, and we're seeing him be uh, more aggressive in, in, in that role. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think we're, you're right, I think what you're saying is probably is sort of the next step late in game, uh, be more be more of the guy. But, yeah, that, that's got to come from, the coach calling plays, the point guard, and, the, the, or, and, and you know, well, Wall and Beal, since they handle the ball so much, recognizing uh, that this guy who's making a ton of shots needs more shots as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a good question there. And, uh, you know, it made me look it up. And I, and I think that's uh, interesting, at least on some level, that he's already been taking more field, you know, has more of these 15 field goal attempts or more games than he did all of, um, all of last year. Uh all right, what do you got? I, I, I pick a number now, like one to eight. You already picked. We already got a couple off the board. Pick another one. I'm going to go with two. All right. Uh, this would be a uh, Jan Mahimi question or a Jan Mahimi resolution from our uh, friend of the podcast, at Rasheen Carbon on Twitter. says, Jan Mahimi must work on getting fewer fouls and practice the mic and drill every day so as to not blow easy layups. I, I really like this one simply for the reference of the mic and drill. Because I, I mean, back in the day when I, you know, went to basketball camps and things like that, the mic and drill was certainly referenced often. And to this day, if I get out on the court and I'm feeling particularly, uh, uncoordinated, I will, I will go to the mic and drill under the basket just to sort of get loose, uh, you know, get, get, get some movement going. And I, I I could not agree more. I mean, I'm sure Jan Mahimi does all kinds of different drills and and and, and, and you know to skills, whatever it is, to practice. But it is still he he's been better. I'm not even really complaining about Jan Mahimi the way we all sort of did earlier in the year. I think he's he's starting to find a good niche or a good role for these guys. Again, we're not talking about the money. We're just simply talking about what he's doing. Scott Brooks praised him uh, a lot after that Houston game for his defense. But every time he touches the ball, 
anywhere outside of just a straight up layup. It just feels like a turnover is waiting to happen. And it, 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 it is a problem on some level that you can't put the ball in his hands almost anywhere on offense without the fear that he's about to cough it up. Yeah, that's really what the problem is, it's that he's catching the ball in position where the offense has done its job. It's created a wide open or pretty much wide open scoring opportunity close to the rim. And so it's one thing to miss a jumper. It's one thing to miss a three. But when the offense, the second team offense, is able to get you in a position to score that far down the down, you know, in the paint, those hurt so much more when there's the missed shots or the travel. So just making that difference would, would you know, making some of those shots would, would be huge because it's just demoralizing to work so hard to get that shot and then just come away with, with nothing. Since we're here on Mahimi, where, where where are you at with the with your current, uh, I don't know, level of, of of how about your patience level for Jan Mahimi? Like, think back, where was it earlier this year, and where is it now? Like on a scale of one to ten, like like I would say earlier in the year, like like my basic point earlier in the year was, even though I knew everybody wanted him to sit and play Jason Smith more, my basic point was what Jan Mahimi does well, they need they need. And I think we've seen that more. Whereas Jason Smith, he's just ultimately not the real answer. He's the, well, we don't have much else going on. Let's try something, which is what happened a year ago. And he made all the shots. So my, my patience level for Mahimi earlier in the year was probably like a five, but that was sort of more of my understanding of that they needed him to get out there and do stuff and work through his problems. Now that he has, you know, I, I, I'm somewhat comfortable with him being in the game, frankly. I mean, I don't even, even when Brooks has him out there, late in games with the starters like he did the other night uh, against Houston, I don't really have an issue with it right now. Again, when he gets the when he touches the ball on offense, it's a problem. But when he does the things he's supposed to do, I don't have an issue. So my patience level with Yamahimi at this point is is, is, is is probably like a – well, how do I say that? Uh, would, it two, would it two and four I have a lot of patience or would it eight and four I have a lot of patience? I guess we'll go with a higher number is the more patience. All right. So, so I'll say I'm like at an eight right now with Mahimi. I mean, I'm not saying he's playing at that level. I'm just saying my patience with him. Whereas earlier in the year, I was like, uh, now I'm like, yeah, okay. He's doing what he needs to do. I'm okay with it. Even when he has a couple hiccups. Uh, I'm not in the camp that Mahimi has had this, uh, wonderful turnaround since the beginning of the season. I, I, I cringe when Sadoransky is forced to start an offensive set with a pick and roll with Mahimi. It's a complete waste and, and it doesn't lead to anything good. And if you had any player on the court who had any ability to make a 10 foot shot, the second unit would, would be much, much better. So sure. It's a situation where you look at the alternative. They don't have another center who could have any rim protection. I mean, Jason Smith isn't a, a rim protector, but I would take almost any seven footer who you're getting on the end of most benches uh, ahead of Mahimi solely because it's just, it just brings the entire offense to a halt when he, when you can't even pass him the ball right under the basket. And that's, that's really, that just takes away all of Sadoransky's pick and roll ability. And I really think Mike Scott has bailed out Mahimi and the second unit. When you look at the numbers and they show, you know, how well the second unit's doing, you know, even with Mahimi out there. I mean, I think a lot of that is Mike Scott bailing them out with his shooting. And if they didn't have those easy baskets, the problems that are caused by having Mahimi on the court would just be exacerbated because uh, 
it just it's it's sort of exponential the 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 how bad he makes the offense when he can't you know he can't go up with a shot uh, you know, under the basket so so I I think things are being masked uh, by Mike Scott and Beal playing well with the second unit they've been playing a lot of Beal um, so I'm not I'm not as confident that that Washington is going to be okay down the line just playing Mahimi this many minutes on the second unit. Well, I will say this, and that, you know, stats are not always the answer for everything. But I just looked this up. So I always keep going back to that point at Thanksgiving when Wall was out, and that's really when the second unit picked itself up. So if I look at the Wizards' uh, net rate, player net ratings from from Thanksgiving on, right? That's about uh, 19 games. So just looking at a couple guys, uh, Bradley Beal in that stretch, a uh, net rating uh, two plus two plus two. Kelly Oubre, 3-plus-2. Thomas Adoransky, 5.9. Mike Scott, 8.9. The number one on the team. The Mike Scott second at 8.9. Number one on the team, Jan Mahimi, 13.9 net rating. Uh, The offensive rating when he's on the court, or for him, 118.3. That's the highest by a ton over everybody else. So I'm not, I'm not saying he's the sole reason for that. I'm just saying that he's being out there has not been the uh, a drag on society the way it was earlier, and I, and I think I think the subtle things he does out there are helping them. It's just that the things he does with the ball are so overtly bad that it does seem like a lot worse. But you, you know, uh, uh, your point is well taken. Well, I'm reserving my right to pull a Charles Barkley here and say I don't care what your numbers say. <laughs> I'm telling you what I'm seeing. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I hear you. Uh, you know, I'm just uh, you know, I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep it. You know, w- you know, 100 for the kids. The kids like the numbers, and, but he's, I, and I'm just trying to point out he has improved. I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to. Yes, he has improved. I don't want to uh, overstate my point. Um, the, just that I still like to still like to see some more. I will say that you know, the, if if Brooks continues to use the the small ball lineup more and more, which he now has really since the Boston game. That, that, that will lessen Mahimi's minutes, or I guess it could lessen Gortat's minutes, but, you know, the big men in general will be, will be less of them, uh, in general. Uh, all right, let's get to another one here. Um, well, this one is actually sort of plays off of what you said earlier about Otto Porter, uh, in terms of he needs to get more shots late. This one is from at Mark Destler. This is for Scott Brooks. My whiz resolution for Scott Brooks. No more Wall Beal ISO plays in crunch time. Um, I, I didn't have a chance to look this up uh, to, to see the, what their actual stats are, but it does feel like a lot of times, and like the I wouldn't say that the Wizards are the only team that this happens to, but you know that, that you've got a free flowing offense most of the game, the ball's moving, you're getting up and down the court, and then late in the game, the, there does just seem to be this sort of instinct to instinct to just sort of put the ball in somebody's hands and, and sort of wait for, for things to happen instead of the you know, ball movement. Um, I have less of an issue with that in theory with Beal simply because he's, you know, especially now his ability to drive and his shot uh, w- w- with Wall, we've talked, and not, we haven't really talked about it so much this year, but in the years past about the end of quarter, end of games, ISOs where, where he's just going one-on-one and ultimately probably settling for like a long two that, that, that doesn't work or he gets himself in the, in the, in the trouble on a drive. Um, but I guess for you, uh, how much of these late game ISOs by Wall and Beal 
how, how how annoying do you find that? Or is it sort of, hey, look, those are your two best players. You want the ball in your hand. If you move the ball away from them too much, all of a sudden maybe the ball is now with somebody else, and they're the one who has to make the play rather than your two best players. Well, my issue is more not so much who's taking the shot. It's that the plays are designed solely for Beal. So it's Wald is you know, sort of waiting at the top of the key for Beal to – for the action to happen on the weak side and be able to come off a pick and, and wait. And so it's just that they're – it's sort of the opportunity cost, I would say, that Wald's only looking to Beal, and so they're giving up any other opportunity to, to find a backdoor cut to Otto or do something on the weak side or work against maybe a good matchup that Otto has sometimes when someone's buried on him, uh, you know, like a Lillard or someone smaller. Um, so that's really what it is. It's not so much that Beal is shooting, it's that – they're, they're only running the play for Beal to be the only option. And that's been the problem with the late, late game inbounds plays as well, with Beal really the only option. So if Beal ends up with the ball, great. But sometimes maybe see if there can be some other action, you know, off the ball or somebody else can, can get a shot up. Yeah, I got to check out some of those ISO numbers later. Uh to, 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 to take a look at that. It'll be something good to uh, look at or um, during one, during one of these uh, downtimes. Um, you know, look, I think we just spent, you know, we spent the la- last year, maybe the last couple of years talking so much about how they got to get the ball to Beal more that, that, they, that they constantly had it with, with wall. This was an issue with Whitman. It was an issue with Brooks last year. I say issue. I just mean, you know, John wall, is, it, it, you know, he's obviously a great player. Just at some circumstances, it just—he's not necessarily the best candidate for the ball because everybody's going to play off him for the shot, and you, you know, that's not—you know—him taking an outside shot is not ideal relative to other options. Beal gives you more options, so the fact that Beal seems to be getting the ball more, and I haven't quite looked at the numbers, like I said, to really actually gauge that, but my sense certainly is that he is getting more late-game opportunities. So just from that perspective, looking at it from what happened before, I'm okay with Beal being more of that guy. I'm not arguing your point, though, that, you know, you, you can't get out of Porter or just have the ball more involved or get or, or, or have more ball movement, but I'm okay that, at least in this sense, that Beal's getting more more of those looks because I think at least that's better than the way it just seemed last year, the last few years, where it's just so heavy going with, with a wall. Agree. I agree. All right. Fair enough. As long as, if I get Abner to agree with me, I'm going to take it and move on. Uh, you're listening to the Lockdown Wizards podcast. Ben Standing here with Mr. Adam Rubin from truthaboutit.net. Adam is on Twitter at Liddell's Place, and I am at Ben Standing. Um, let's go here with uh, – let's go here with one about – Jody Meeks uh, from at Baron underscore crypto, who says Meeks should work on shooting threes, his supposed specialty. And uh, <laughs> supposed specialty okay. is a uh, interesting uh, way to phrase it because, yes, it is very true. You know, Jody Meeks, I mean, that that is what he's, uh, you know, w- w- why he was brought in here to make three-point shots, and, you know, that just simply hasn't been working yet. He is right now, and we're talking about a guy who is a career 37% three-point shooter, the last year only in 36 games. By the way, he's now played one more game than he did all of last year. Just note that. Uh, 
but in 36 games last year, shot 41%. Right now, he's at 31.2%, 34 for 109 from three. It's just not falling for him. I'm quite sure he's taking, though, the needed reps to get it better. Uh, It's just not happening. Uh, I I, I tried looking up some numbers to, to sort of gauge why. He's been a little a tick better lately. I think Candace Buckner wrote about this. That, that, you know, about his struggles and that he's been a little bit better lately. The the one thing I looked at and saw in the numbers is to somebody could point to positively, I guess. Take this for what it's worth. But when he's, um, he's taken his, uh, three pointers, uh, he's mostly taking them with zero dribble. So just catch and shoot. And in those, he's only shooting 31.7%. Uh, when he is taking one dribble, here, let me, hold on, let me pull it, let me look at it a different way. Uh, he, he's taking, well, he's shooting. what'd you say? I, I was going to let you, while you were looking, I was going to oh. just say he's shooting 31 overall. So if you're, if you're shooting 31 on a dribble, then he's yeah, he, 31 with, with, the. yeah, m- most of what he's regardless. taking or yeah, most of what he's taking or without a, or without a dribble, he's only taken 14 attempts with one dribble and he's shooting 43% on those. So I don't know what to make of, of, of that, but maybe, uh, maybe he's got to get a dribble in this game, but like, it isn't even just like, you know, part of my thinking with, with Meeks was, well, maybe he's just not getting open enough. But when you look at his attempts, uh, according to NBA.com, when he's uh, it, it, looking at where the closest defender is, He's only taken one three-point attempt all season with a clip with what they consider a very tight defender, meaning between zero and two feet. The most open they gauge it, six six feet plus. He's taken his most attempts, fifty-three, and he's only shooting thirty-four percent. Now that's better than uh, otherwise, but you know he that, that's not a great percentage if you're if you're considered to be wide open, six six feet or more from the closest defender. I think you would hit that many threes and I'm not even I'm not disparaging your game you have you have game so um I, I don't know the shots are just not falling for Jody Meeks I, you know I don't I don't think I don't know if either one of us have the answer for that but what, what you know sort of like it's along the lines of your patience with 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 Meeks uh or with patience with Mahimi where, where are you at with 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 Meeks are you comfortable at least to be like look He's he's they they need him to to, to get this done, so they got to keep throwing him out there. Or are you reaching a point of man, if he can't even make his threes, then maybe then why is he getting minutes really at all? Well, first those numbers seem odd because it seems to me every shot that I can remember him taking is him coming off a curl with his man glued to his back, and you know a couple times he's got a foul call there. You know he's been able to get to the line, but a lot of his shots have been like that. Um, Maybe they weren't all three pointers. Uh, no, my patience uh, were worn very thin. Um, look, he's he's here to shoot three pointers. That's not like, and that's not an exaggeration. When you're a three point shooter, and you are a huge liability on defense, you have to make the three pointers. Otherwise, there's no point in having you out there. His lateral movement is so bad uh, against quicker guards that. You know, you got to hit some threes to make to keep people honest. And I think the Chicago game, the last game, where I forget, I think he only played six, seven, or eight minutes. 
that was a game where Chicago has guys out there running up the court, um, uh, like Justin Holiday and uh, guys who, who he just couldn't guard. So he couldn't even really be out there. Um, so I think it's an issue I'm concerned about having Meeks as the only shooting guard on the team behind Beal. Luckily, Beal has been healthy, hasn't been an issue. But really, that's the position where I'm most concerned going forward because if anything happens to Beal or foul trouble, doesn't matter, doesn't have to be an injury, the only shooting guard to put in there is, is, is Meeks. I mean, yes, you can place out a Ransky off the ball. You could slide down Uber if you had to. And, you know, but it's just, you know, he's the, he's the only traditional shooting guard, and he's not making his threes. Now you assume it'll regress to the mean, and he'll start making them. So, I mean, but um, I think Brooks, that's probably of the guys in Brooks' initial, like, seven- or eight-man rotation. I guess aside from Frazier, I think Meeks is the one who Brooks has the least amount of patience with and it would be most likely to be uh, sort of pushed out if, if it comes to that uh, later down, down the line. That's the one guy where I think Brooks just doesn't have any, you know, isn't giving him minutes just to give him minutes. He's got to keep hitting threes. Otherwise, Brooks isn't afraid to, to sit him down. You know, I, I talked the other day uh, after the uh, the Bulls game. Uh, Todd and I talked about that game, but we also got into some more bigger picture stuff with the Wizards and kind of where things are at. And the one thing that we said, or at least I said, and I, I think Todd generally agreed with me, is that, you know, because Meeks is struggling and because you look ahead to the postseason, again, we're not – the Wizards shouldn't look ahead, but that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, you're going to tighten the rotation. Obviously, off the bench, Mike Scott's going to play. Kelly Oubre is going to play. Presumably, Jan Mahimi is going to get some minutes. So you really only have one more spot, right? I mean, because the starters play more minutes. And so, for the moment, let's just say who's that guard, right? And Sadoransky, Sadoransky would be that guy right now. The question is, can you feel comfortable Sadoransky really playing with both Wall and Beal? If he's playing with Wall, he's going to have to make shots. And he's shooting a decent percentage from, from distance. It's not a ton of attempts. Um, and, and I think for this for this next month, it really is going to be interesting to see what happens with Sadoransky slash what is Brooks, how does Brooks view Meeks? Because that's the position where they can probably get, hypothetically, go out and get somebody to help out without maybe having to give up that first round pick, you know, uh, they don't need a ton. That you know, we're only talking like if Beal and Wall are going to play like thirty eight minutes a game. We're only talking about twenty minutes off the bench, and if Sadoransky is going to gobble up most of that, then really there's not much room for anybody else. But I'm just saying, at most, maybe there's somebody else. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see over this next few weeks. Can Meeks get himself out of this slump? Can he start making shots? If he can, maybe the Wizards don't feel like compelled. They have to do something. If not, like you said, he's the only real shooting threat they have off the bench in theory, so they probably will have to go out and get somebody, even if it's a sort of a minor addition, just in case. Yeah, it's really, Sadoransky can play backup point guard, but you can't have, I mean, that role of a shooting guard who can create his own shot, I mean, Meeks doesn't even fit that bill, but you know, Sadoransky is not that guy. Uh, Meeks comes the closest. And it's just really that's a position on a roster, on an NBA roster, that that should be there, that Washington does not have a combo guard who can create his own shot. Not not 
in the rotation, not at the end of the bench, not anywhere. There's not one player who can do that. And that's a major problem, especially in the playoffs, because that's what you need. You need the Lou Williams type. Doesn't even have to be as good as Lou Williams. He doesn't have to be able to drop 40, you know, in his sleep. But that's, that's the missing piece as far as I'm concerned. And Meeks, even if he was shooting well, wouldn't fit. But at least if he could shoot well, he could, you know, he could play the role sort of and, and get hit some open shots. Um, that, that's, that's, for me, the big question mark is Wall and Beal cannot just carry this team every single game in the playoffs from, from the backcourt. Right. No, I, I, I agree. They're going to have to get, and look, you know, uh, you know, early in the year, we talked a lot about John Wall being in, you know, better shape and all that. And I'm not going to say that he's not, but part of the issue last year, part of the reason why this whole storyline of Wall being in better shape is he wore down last year in the playoffs when he was playing heavy minutes. So, you know, whether he's in better shape or not, you, you know, you're going to get better results out of him and Beal if they're not having to play huge minutes. They had to play huge minutes last year because they didn't have any other guard play that was any good. So definitely something to uh, to consider uh, sort of in, in that line. We don't really have to get into this too much. But uh, at the Coin Ninja uh, New Year's Resolution, Tim Frazier needs a more reliable jump shot. Could not agree more. That's not going to happen. Uh Tim Frazier's jumper is probably what it is, and that's probably the reason. That's among the reasons why he's not playing right now. Uh, you know, again, I think if if needed, I think Tim Frazier could come in and help. I, I don't, I, you know, the, the Wizards. You know, if, if they hadn't pissed away, the, you know, a couple of those, you know, that, that that Clippers game and that Brooklyn game on that road trip, they would have gone four and one on that road trip without with um w- without John Wall. And I know that's easier said than done, and he takes some blame just because he's there. For why they lost, but you know what I mean. Like they they can win with him if they have to, but his jump shot's just not going to get better, and that's why he's uh, sitting out. Uh, you don't have to comment on that one. Let's get to Markeith Morris uh, as we wind this down here. These New Year's resolutions on the Lockdown Wizards podcast. I got two. I got two comments about Markeith Morris. One from at who is Whitfield says Markeith Morris should make a resolution to stop picking up technical fouls, and then we got another one here. Markeith Morris continues his frustrating habit of committing unnecessary shooting fouls in the paint. If you still need New Year's resolutions at Ben Standig, there's one. That is from at Liddell's place. That would be you. Yes. Yes. I, would. <laughs> I, I honestly, when you were reading that, I was like, wait, I said the same. And okay. Yeah, that is me. Okay. Uh, but look, I mean, it feels like in every game, either Markeith gets a tech or He's got three fouls in the first half. He did get three fouls in the first half against the Bulls. And look, you know, the fact that Mike Scott's playing at a high level doesn't make it as, at least offensively, doesn't make it as dire as it was a year ago. And plus, Kelly Oubre is, is largely playing better as well. So to some degree, the Wizards have a little more flexibility if Marquise Morris has to sit, depending on the matchup. That said, you know, it just can't, you, it just feels like a lot of times, you know, look, I mean, sometimes you're just going to get fouled, but it feels like in his case, just one, at least once, maybe twice a game, there's just a moment where he loses it and commits a silly foul, uh, the technical. And, uh, you know, if they want to go small, he needs to be the five. I mean, you know, he's a little bit bigger than Mike Scott. He needs to be the five. It's harder to do it if he's not out on the court, and that small ball lineup has worked well. So, I, I, I agree with all this. 
it, it's just it's just a matter of focus and 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 understanding you know sort of the game flow and 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 being within yourself. I don't know if this is this may be easier said than done. I think Marquise Morris is the kind of guy where he's just going to kind of do his own thing on some level. But yes, absolutely, he needs to avoid the unnecessary fouls in the paint as well as those uh, technicals. Well, the good news is this is not like a Jan Mahimi thing where he's sort of got to cut down the foul rate and he's not trying to do it. Uh, these are fouls where he's intentionally fouling people. Like the guy, if somebody gets inside of him, instead of letting the basket go or trying to contest it, he's just doing an intentional foul or just slamming the guy's arm down or grabbing his arm. So it's, it's not something that it can be stopped very easily. This is an intentional thing he's doing. I don't know why. It's just like being grumpy out there. It's sort of the same mentality that gets the, the technicals. I don't mind technicals so much. It's these are the fouls that take him out of the game, and, and he's just doing it for no reason because he, he, he doesn't care. Once someone gets inside, it's like when he threw down with Nurkic in the Portland game. I'm trying to remember. Hopefully I'm giving the right guy when he took the uh, flagrant foul. Um, you know, just someone spun inside of him, and he just decides to collar him and throw him down. So it's just, it's just dumb things, and he'll stop, I assume. It's just he's just surly out there. So hopefully, hopefully he'll stop. Uh, hopefully he, he will. He is, uh, if you look at the technical foul leaders in the league, he's currently tied for fourth with Dwight Howard and Russell Westbrook for seven. Of course, if those guys have played a bunch of more games that, that, than him. In fact, of the top 12 players, he's the only one to have played under 30 games. Uh, Wednesday will be his 30th. He's also of the, let's just look at that. He, he's averaging, 6.1 fouls per uh, 48 minutes, which I know is not really a, a, how you look at it, but like, like that, like that of the guys who have a lot of text, like that's that's the most really of any of those guys, which is not whatever. That doesn't mean anything. The point is, you know, he he's doing it on both ends. He's getting text and he's drawing fouls at a pretty decent clip. So, uh, look, I, I said this the other day. I made a point to bring it up. I think Markeith Morris. What his energy is is definitely picking up. He got 11 rebounds in in not a ton of minutes against the Bulls. He's starting to do that. You know whether he's they need his offense, but if he can grab if he's grabbing boards, you know eight or more a game, that's a huge lift for this team, especially if they're going to go small. So uh, so so definitely some good stuff lately out of Morris, but that's definitely one area where he needs to uh, to work on. All right, last one here because of shocker, we are going along here, Adam, or at least I'm, I'm making us that way. This one I'm leaning on you because this is a question that I don't really know how to answer because I don't have I, I don't deal with this this particular topic, but you, I believe, do. Here it is. This is a a, a tweet from at JCPIP. It's a resolution for Ted Leonsis. Here we go, Adam. It just says Ted Leonsis improve the food at Capital One Arena. What what's your take on the food situation now? At the arena, I, I, I have not. All I eat is the media food, which I'll just I'll just say it's uh, it's fine, sort of most of the time. Uh, what, yeah, yeah, it depends. Um, what, what what's your take? You got a lot of options, I'm sure. I don't really go all over the arena. What what, what say you on the uh, food at Capital One Arena these days? Uh, no, that's a good resolution. The food is awful. I've been to many, many stadiums, NBA stadiums around the uh, league. I'd say every single one I've been to is 
infinitely better, uh, particularly like Charlotte. Uh, but here on the concourse, it's all the same type of Aramark, uh, you know, food, you know, the, the people who run it. There's a, there'll be a, there's a few options. I do with Jose Andres, the launch area, which is now a different guy who, who runs there. They put that in to have one space where you have at least some type of normal food. There's some good pork sandwiches right next door. But other than that, on the concourse, your best bet is to find the Chick-fil-A guys walking around and just get a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Uh, they, they definitely need to revamp the entire thing. And I would agree with, I agree with that resolution. That might be my actual favorite resolution that we've had so far on, on the podcast. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very, it's very poor. It's been the same, like uh, for years and years, it's been the same. Hold the Andres thing and the full pork, little beer, uh, uh, place. Like that's all, that's relatively new. And that's the only thing really they've, they've added. So yes, I'd say Ted needs to do an overhaul. Uh, he needs to go back to when he first took over the team and did that, you know, a hundred improvements, you know, he was going to do. And someone said, you know, get mustard, get ketchup dispensers filled, stuff like that. Uh, to go back, maybe do another hundred or another 10 or another 20 to improve the fan experience. You know, until they get in the stadium, there's just little things that they can do to, to improve. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and also get, get more Chick-fil-A then. If you, if you have to, more guys around walking around with Chick-fil-A. That's uh, the easy fix. Well, I was going to say, well, what's your, since you said you've been out of the places, like what's the one, what's the one place or one thing you would add that, 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 uh, you know, hasn't been at, that, that, that they don't have. Well, I mean, it's, it's more that like here, everything is, you know, it, yeah, it's just the standard stuff that's like nachos, but it's not, you know, it's all the bad quality nachos, bad hot dogs, and, and it's nothing, there's nothing normal. I guess you go to Nats Park, you know, and see there can be some other innovative options, or you can sort, you can bring in some local places that can have, you know, a stand. Here's no real flavor around there of like different types of food. So you can just bring in some different types of options that people would want. Um, that, you know, that's all. It's just, it's just, and also the higher quality food. I mean, you can have things that are a little, a little better than the standard, you know, standard stadium food. It's just not, it's all chicken tenders, get some fries. It's, you know, nothing, it's nothing. That's the best you can do, maybe chicken tenders. And Papa John's pizza in the box. You know, it's, 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 this is not, this is not very high quality. All right. Uh, you heard it here uh, first. Uh, Liddell's place says, Pick up the pace. More passionate about the food scenario than uh, basically all the other resolutions. So I'm glad I saved the best uh, for last. Uh, but maybe, we'll, maybe, maybe what we should do is have you and your uh, wizards cohort like actually go around and like you know do some like taste testing and like you know rate the food and and come back with your own you know ten point plan for how to uh, how to fix that. Yeah, we can give you the top ten concessions that are available, and then and then what, you know, what what could be improved? All right, definitely could do that. I like it. I like it. We'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to work on on that. All right. So Adam, uh, I appreciate uh, your time as always. Uh, oh, we, we uh, one last thing, I guess, just to mention because we talked about it before. Uh, we I didn't have a specific one on Bradley Beal, uh, but just look, this one's a pretty easy. You got to the, the late game free throws. It's starting to become problematic. Uh, I, I, again, I didn't, I did not have a chance to look up the, the, the numbers, but he missed two big ones 
against the Bulls. Fortunately, the, the Bulls immediately coughed the ball up and, and uh, got Wizards got the ball back, and then Wall made two free throws to put, essentially put the game or help put the game away. But it feels like it, it's been a thing with Beal late in games, technical fouls he's been missing. Um, he's still shooting a high, uh, you know, a, a relatively high percentage from the line. But yeah, the, that needs to be dealt with before it becomes a uh, you know. Uh, I don't want to say Nick Anderson situation because that would be too dramatic. But you know, no, 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 come on. No, no, I said, I said before because it's too dramatic. I'm just saying, you know, before it becomes like you know, we're, we're, between Beagle and Wall, it doesn't feel like it's automatic that they're going to make their free throws these days, and that's not great. And by the way, he is shooting only 78 percent from the line. Last year he got it over to 82. Uh, 78 is is less than his his career percentage as well. So he's not exactly killing it from the line overall in general, but at the end of the game is more problematic. He is taking more free throws this year, which is a good thing, but the percentage is not uh, where it needs to be. Yeah. All right. Well, good. All right. Well, good. Hey, you know, I'm going to, we'll get out right there. Uh, Adam, appreciate it, my man. We will talk soon. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, again, follow Adam on Twitter at Liddell's Place. I am at Ben Standig. And uh, find the podcast on iTunes or anywhere else to do your podcasting. Uh, you know that by now. All right. Nick, Wizards, Knicks, Wednesday night at Capital One Arena. We will be there. So until tomorrow night. Everybody Deal. Gets open for three. Dagger! Long drive, long coming shot. Dagger!